Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for making Teacher Edition Podcast a part of your day. We have another very practical topic for you today. But before we jump into that, let me remind you again to take a minute to subscribe to the podcast. If you have friends who are not listening in, please do share this with them so they can listen in as well. And don't forget to follow us on social media. So as a reminder, we are a Teacher Edition podcast on Facebook. And you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition Pod. That's Teacher Edition Pod. So we would love it if you would take a minute to also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help out the show. And lastly, I just want to invite you to go to our website, TeacherEditionPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to our emails and you can also submit your questions and your stories. So those can be funny stories. They could be stories of blessings from your classroom. You might have a question or a funny story to share, but you're really not sure if you should submit it. So submit it. Okay, because we really look forward to those and we want to share them on the show. And as we have questions and stories, we're going to share those at the end of the episodes. So be sure to listen all the way to the end of the interviews each time. So I'm really excited for today's topic for a number of reasons. But one of those reasons is because it is so applicable and it's far reaching. And really, no matter what grade you teach, what subject you teach, this topic is relevant. And no matter how long you've been teaching or where you teach, It is relevant. So if you haven't already read the title for the episode, you're probably scanning through your mental Rolodex trying to figure out what is such an applicable topic. So I'm going to keep you in suspense on that for just a minute longer because I want to tell you another reason why I'm really excited for today's topic, and that is because of the guest we have with us. And I'm really excited to welcome Matt Tiscus to the show. I actually met Matt way back in elementary school. He was a few years behind, but I had the opportunity to observe his testimony and his leadership even back as he was coming through school. So my family moved away and we lost touch with Matt and really so many that we had grown up with. But then many years later, our paths crossed again with Matt through Christian educator conferences. So the Lord had led Matt into Christian education, which is so exciting. Um, Just a little bit about him. He earned a master's degree in Christian education and another master's degree in Bible exposition. And he served for a number of years as a school administrator in Texas. So he is currently the regional director for the Mid-South region of the American Association of Christian Schools. And he's having a great impact with those schools and really in Christian school in general. So he is a very busy person. He says he's busy outside of work as well. Of course, His most important responsibility is his family, and he and his wife have three children, and he also founded and leads a small e-commerce company, and he serves on the city council where he lives. So, Matt, I have no idea how you have any time to breathe, but welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, and uh, it's it's always great to, to connect with you and the good work that you're doing, so thanks for the invite. I look forward to discussing our topic today. Yes, I'm excited too. So, let's break the suspense on the topic. Today, we're going to be talking about motivating students. So, and specifically, helping those unmotivated students. So, motivating students is a topic really that comes up with teachers and parents alike. So, I can't tell you how many teachers have come to me because they just cannot seem to motivate one of their students. And I've really heard the same thing from parents. How do I motivate this child? (laughs) So, obviously, motivation plays an important role. And it seems as if it were easy or if there was just one set formula or maybe one strategy that was a catch-all. 
we really wouldn't be asking or hearing these questions. So Matt, let's start there with those basics. So what do you see as the connection between motivation and learning? Like how important is that? Well, it's it's obviously incredibly important. You know, I would relate it to real estate. You know, there's there's one rule in real estate and I'm, who knows who's listening to the podcast, but uh, if you've ever bought a house, you know that uh, it's all about location, location, location. There's a quote from uh, former... U.S. Secretary of Education, Ed Bell. And he says, there's three things to remember about education. The first is motivation. The second is motivation and shocker of all shockers. The third one is motivation. I don't, I don't know that I necessarily agree with his statement, uh, but I do know that it's really important. Uh, in fact, uh, Gallup has done uh, some research on this. And for, for public school students, they found that the more years they spend in school in the classroom, the less engaged or the less really motivated they become. So in elementary school, uh, Jenny, students are typically like on a 10 point scale, they're eight out of 10 engaged. So elementary school students really engaged, really enjoying school. But as they move into middle school and high school, uh, that number drops to to four out of four out of 10. So a lot of our, a lot of students in public school just aren't engaged. And so that motivation piece just isn't there. Uh, but it's hard because it's hard to quantify uh, and it's influenced by a lot of factors more than just uh, what happens as a teacher, what happens in your classroom every day. So we know it's important. We know it impacts education, but it's hard to measure. But we do know this, more schooling generally, generally leads to less engagement of students. But if we want to improve student learning, uh, we've really got to take a look at this motivation piece. Sure. So let's unpack that term a little bit more. Let's unpack the term motivation. How how could we define motivation? Yeah, so like like any good student today, I mean, I went to Google, and we all know that Google is one of the best places to research things. And if you're writing like a paper or something, you want to cite Google as one of your sources, I'm sure, right? So all of our teachers out there would agree with that. Google says it's the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. And I think that's a pretty good definition. Uh, Richard Ryan and Edward DC say this, it's to be moved to do something. And I think that's a, I think those are some good definitions for us to kind of ponder on what it means, what motivation means. Yeah, that's a great start. Now, something that I faced as a teacher and as a principal was finding a balance between me motivating the students, and that really could be done in a variety of ways, and the students being self-motivated. So we see this contrast all around us. We have children in the grocery store not being motivated to obey until they're offered a treat or maybe a consequence. Drivers are suddenly motivated to drive the speed limit when they see an officer. Um, employees are being motivated to finish a job faster when they know that there's a bonus at stake and on and on and on. So Matt, would you talk with us about the different types of motivation and really how they impact a classroom? Yeah, for sure. And, and I don't think this will be a surprise for most uh, most teachers, but I think we're familiar with intrinsic motivation, something that's inherently enjoyable to do. Uh, versus extrinsic motivation, which is uh, doing something because it leads uh, to an outcome. And and it reminds me of uh, my daughter who uh, took private lessons for violin. And uh, so my wife and I were paying monthly for these, uh, you know, very good private music lessons. And what what is the likelihood, Jenny, do you think that my daughter wanted to practice her violin on a regular basis? Ooh, I, my guess is it started out really high, but it it just tapered off pretty quick. 
Yeah, you would be correct in that, right? And so here we are, we're paying for these lessons and some of the excitement began to wane. And so now without dad saying, hey, you need to be practicing your violin, right? And some of that extrinsic motivation, uh, it wasn't happening. However, uh, my daughter picked up the, the ukulele. I was in Hawaii recently. I guess it's pronounced ukulele or ukulele. And guess what she wanted to do? She wanted to play that instrument. And guess how many times I had to ask her to practice the ukulele? It was zero. I'll just save everyone the opportunity to guess for that, right? Because it's something that she inherently uh, enjoyed uh, doing. Uh, the reality in our classrooms, Jenny, is that many of our classrooms are filled with external motivators. And that is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we, we see things like, uh, especially in elementary schools, gold stars, prize buckets. We've all seen the, the stoplight be moved based on the child's behavior. Um, our schools are filled with fundraisers. You know, if you run so many laps, you, you get a prize. And, and I'm not being critical of those things. I'm just recognizing that our schools are filled with those types of motivators. But I think what we have to consider is, can we rely solely on intrinsic motivation in the classroom? Because is what we're doing in the classroom inherently enjoyable for all students? And well, the answer to that question is no, it's not. And so we do have to look at, okay, how does motivation work? What motivates students and how can we be, be most effective in that? Right. So since we are focused on education with a biblical worldview, I guess I can't help but place this topic within the context of scripture. So there's a plethora of philosophy and research when it comes to motivation. So let's talk about that. How can we reconcile those or really can we? There is some real naturalistic worldview underpinnings when it comes to motivation theory. We'll start with a name that many in education are probably going to be familiar with, and that's Abraham Maslow. Uh, he developed what's called the hierarchy of needs, and it's it's this this pyramid that perhaps many of us uh, have seen uh, that begins uh, with psychological needs, and it moves all the way up the chart to uh, what he called self-actualization. And um, one of the things that he is famous for saying is, I have called the person at the top of the chart there uh, godlike because most gods, and this is little g-gods, of course, right? But they've been considered to have no needs or wants, no deficiencies, nothing lacking to be gratified in all things, right? So Maslow sees this hierarchy of needs as coming to a point where we become self-actualized, where we, we really have no, no need of anything or or anyone. We'll come back to that in just a second, but another real kind of popular uh, worldview theory is called self-determination theory uh, when it comes to motivation. And, and in this theory, uh, they identified really three basic human needs, competence, the ability to be successful, autonomy, which is a degree of control, and uh, relatedness, having good relationships with, with the teachers and others. But, but as Christians, we have to look at these theories and these philosophies from a Christian worldview and we find that many of these theories are lacking, right? They don't take into account uh, the fact that man has sin nature, right? That, that our students are born inherently with, with a bent towards, uh, towards sin. Uh, Maslow thinks people can actually become like, like gods. And, and Jenny, we know that that's, that's a lie that's as old as the garden. There's, there's this real emphasis on self, knowing yourself, self-actualization, but no regard for what we learn uh, in Matthew 6, 33, which is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
And then uh, these theories and philosophies are undergirded by a naturalistic worldview, you know, that we're animals that have just evolved over time as opposed to creations of God, uh, special creations of God. When we compare these theories to scripture, we, we run into some things, but, but I do think there are some kernels of truth that we could talk about in these. But when we think about scripture, I think the concept of the heart is really important when it comes to motivation because the heart, as the Bible describes, is the seat of our emotions. It's where our motives uh, flow out of. And we see through Proverbs and other places, the Bible tells us we have to guard our heart. We have to give our heart to wisdom, uh, how we need a new heart. And I think in scripture, we see really two underlying uh, motives uh, and that's fear and love. The unregenerate or the unsaved person is motivated by fear of man and love of self, while uh, the, the regenerated person is motivated by love. They have a new love and a healthy fear of God. And as the believer grows, that love becomes the greatest motivator. So I'm throwing a lot of philosophy and theory, and we're looking at that in light of scripture, but that doesn't necessarily help us. And I think we'll get there. What do I do about the kid that won't do their math paper? Or how do I help them? So we, I think we want to talk about that too. Yes. And that was actually going to be my next question. So that's so helpful and it's a great foundation. Now let's take that into the classroom. So I have a student, an elementary student. He will not do his math paper. And what do I do with that high school student who won't even try to write a poem? So can you give us some practical suggestions based on the foundation we've just talked about? Yeah, it's so important. You know, my wife and I, um, we were adoptive parents and our oldest son, when we adopted him, had just repeated the second grade. And so, you know, as a parent, as a school leader, when you uh, have a student and he, he did not enjoy school, uh, he is since out of school and, and in the adult world, but that was a real struggle. Um, spelling words, writing those spelling words was a real struggle. And as, as parents, uh, we had a really uh, difficult time. And honestly, that's where that's where some of kind of this study came out of is how, how can we help uh, students in that position? So I think there's a few practical things that we can do as we think about how do we motivate students. Uh, it starts really at, at a baseline, emphasizing the truth of God's word. And, and unfortunately, that's not a quick fix because it doesn't fix that problem in the moment. But we need to continue to do that. Uh, and that's discipleship. And that's what God's called us to do in Christian school education is disciple the next generation. And so we got to continue to do that. I do think we, we ought to be reminded that rewards in scripture are promised for obedience. So I'm definitely not advocating that we get rid of all of the external extrinsic motivators that we have in our classrooms. I think those things are okay and acceptable. I think the difference in scripture, right, is the promise rewards are not the point of our obedience, right? Uh, the point of our obedience in scripture is God is our reward. Uh, we need to help kids see that. But I do think it is okay to say, to, to offer tangible rewards. I think there's a couple things. To increase intrinsic motivation, consider giving students verbal rewards as opposed to always giving tangible. But if giving tangible, consider making it unexpected. So you might have uh, something you want to give to a student for completing that paper, but just don't just don't let them know that that's going to happen every single time. And what research has shown is that can that can increase intrinsic motivation. Um, I think it's important that we, as students get older, can we provide them with choices in their assignments? So uh, just a couple of examples: if a student was working on a project, um, could they uh, write a paper, or could they do? Uh, an oral presentation, perhaps, on whatever that project might be. 
right? So I think there's ways as teachers, and that's really coming back to to that concept of autonomy, right? It's not that it's not that we're letting students be in charge, but it is giving them some choice and some ownership uh, in the work that they're doing. And so, what choices can we give students that that here's a caveat doesn't create a lot of a ton of extra work for our for our teachers for ourselves, right? Um, because we know we're already very, very busy people, right? What about math? Could we let the students decide? Can they do even or odd, right? So there's there's some things that we can do, I think, to help. It's really important that we speak words of affirmation to our students to constantly encourage, it, even in a three-to-one ratio. We want to praise the effort, but grade the outcome. And then this, I think it's okay to tweak an assignment for a struggling student. You know, earlier I read, I, I mentioned spelling words. And if a student is struggling with something like that, as a teacher, we can we can cut that list down if we need to. It doesn't mean we're going to do that forever, right? But sometimes we feel so locked into, I have to do it this way for every single student. And I think at times we need to be willing to, to tweak an assignment uh, for a struggling student. And then the last thing I would say about that would be take a genuine interest in your students. My youngest son, Brady, he's 11 now. Uh, but he was playing t-ball at the time. So he's four, maybe five years old in pre-kindergarten. And his pre-K teacher took time out on a Saturday uh, to come to Brady's baseball game. Now, I want to ask you if you think that was a big deal in the life of my, at the time, four-year-old son. He was blown away. And what does that do for the relationship between that teacher and that student? It just strengthens it. And so when it comes time, when maybe there's a conflict in class, you know, that teacher has made a deposit into that relationship bank in the life of uh, in the life of my son. So taking a genuine interest in our students, I think, is really important, and that pays off big dividends in the classroom. Yeah, that's great. That's so practical, and I really like what you pointed out about making tangible rewards unexpected. And I think that goes with you know a great rule of thumb for using rewards. Of course, we want to use tangible rewards, but we want to reward clearly. And early, so they know why they're getting it, obviously. But then over time, we're raising those expectations and keeping that same reward. So, you know, essentially, we are lessening the reward and raising that intrinsic motivation. And then that often is helped when I think when students see success and when they have their own achievements, you know, that is building that intrinsic motivation as well. And then, you know, moving to rewarding randomly. And I love that. And that keeps them on their toes. And I think, you know, they really are just as excited about that as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you, you know what it's like if if you're expecting to get something every single time, the, the motivation just kind of just kind of dies off. So I think you I think you raise a great point. And that's I think that's a real practical piece that I hope some teachers can put put to practice in their classroom. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of practical right here for them. And you know, motivation is tricky and that it looks different for different students, for different classes, for different years. And I know I have my own stories of failed motivational efforts. You know, there's nothing like offering up a motivator or appealing to self-motivation only to get that classic, so what look from students. You know, and that's a helpless feeling as a teacher because you think, wow, I did all this and I thought this would make you excited and they're just looking at you. I remember one student, I said, you know, if we can reach this goal, you know, there will be a treat for you. And he looked at me and said, well, I get an iPad? I was like, wow, I was looking like a starburst. You know, I guess the level of of motivators has changed over the years. But I I really find that that line of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation can just be so tricky. You know, we can't bribe them or like you mentioned, teach them that every right move is going to earn them a trophy. And 
they so often say, what do I get? You know, we've all heard that over and over. If you do that, well, what do I get? And so finding that line, we have, we don't want them to be motivated to make right choices because of that, but we want them to work hard and you know, we want them to glorify the Lord. And the path to that takes wisdom and patience on the part of an educator. That's very, very tricky. So I don't know if you have any other comments on that, but I think these are some excellent foundational truths. I would come back to the piece about incur- using encouraging words. And, you know, mo- I-, I would say most teachers are good, ab- good about doing that probably. But I know sometimes as we, maybe as we get some years under our belt, maybe sometimes we get a little jaded with, with certain students, especially. And sometimes mentally, you know, I'm sorry to say, but sometimes we can write some students off mentally. We've got to be really, really careful about that because encouraging words can go so far and mean so much. And and those are the things that our students are going to remember, you know, that, hey, this teacher in fourth grade, they they believed in me and they helped me through. And, you know, it wasn't the Starburst or even the iPad uh, necessarily that got it done, but it was that that teacher who believed in that student and who who spoke life uh, into that student and how God can use us uh, in a way. I think those encouraging words are so important, those words of affirmation. Definitely. Thank you, Matt. I This has been great. And hopefully, I, as in so many things in education, these are things we know, but we forget about. And we just need to go back to the basics and be reminded of those things. And the, these were some great practical tools as well. And I appreciate your time. But before you go away, I have one other thing. So just before we wrap up this episode, I wanted to share another audience question with everyone. So this question comes up often when teachers get together, and honestly, it goes really well with our topic for today. So here's the question. In my classroom, I really try to focus on the positive. We don't exclude consequences, but I definitely want to be intentional in my rewarding of hard work, kind actions, right choices, etc. I would love any ideas for classroom rewards that are not sweets or expensive. So I think that's a great question. And as I have interacted with teachers, I have seen some very creative ways to let students know that you're proud of them. We've talked a little bit about that already. And really, though, at the same time, not break your bank or put them all on a sugar high. So before I share a few ideas that I thought of that I've come across, Matt, do you have any ideas or anything you'd like to add to that? Well, you know, I I think we can use things, you know, like certificates around, you know, particular character traits that we might give a student, you know, Hey, your your miss your miss positivity, or um, your Mister encouraging, right? So that's not something that a student's going to get a sugar high on, but that that student can kind of w- take that identity on, um, and and really wear that and feel like, yeah, I am someone who encourages, or I am someone who is positive. And so e- even focusing on biblical character traits, I think, would be you know, good and could be used in that way. So that's kind of a simple one. And probably a lot of people already do that, but that's just something that came to mind. No, I think that's a great reminder. And I think sometimes, especially in the culture we live, we tend to forget that students even like little things like a certificate or note. I'm going to talk about notes here in a second, but that's perfect. They, They do appreciate that. So here's a few ideas that I jotted down. And I know we have listeners from all different levels in education. So I want to encourage each of you to see these through your own grade level glasses. We tend to think rewards are just for elementary students. And honestly, I feel bad sometimes for the upper level students because even they they love appropriate rewards. So here I'm going to run through just a list quickly and hopefully maybe our listeners will pull some ideas. Something I thought of was just extra time. I know when I was a teacher, students loved extra time. 
um, at an activity or at a center or even with me as a teacher. They would just love the opportunity to sit at my desk during recess and talk or sit at my desk during lunch or sit with me at lunch. And as a teacher, sometimes we think that is my one opportunity to have a few minutes of peace and quiet. But to think how much that means to a student and again, it's not sugar and it's not breaking the bank, but just putting time and you're also mentoring them during that time. Um, another thing that I've seen be very successful in a classroom is a special item for the day. So that might be something on their desk, something that has meaning um, to their classroom. I've seen one classroom, they even painted like good character rocks at the beginning of the year. And as students demonstrated those character traits, that rock sat on their desk. So it released just a very subtle reminder to those in the classroom that so-and-so was trustworthy or whatever. And they had made those rocks and then they were like being rewarded with their same. Um, that could be a specialty button they wear, um, beads. It could be like a Hawaiian lei or something even more that might appeal to boys. I saw a classroom that did brag tags and they kind of look like those military tags, but it had a character trait on it or something that they had done well. And they got to wear those. And if you don't want to buy one or two for every single day, those could be something they just have for the day and give back. Another thing you can go with is a treasure box. And of course, that's as old as the hills. But little things like stickers and pencils and coupons, they don't break the bank. And coupons are something I've seen become really, really popular. You know, a lot of students or a lot of teachers use those with their students. And really, that could be on any level. All the way up through high school, there are things that those students would love to have. And you could give out coupons and you don't have to embarrass them, you know, with silliness or whatever, but they're just earning something that can be useful to them. So a homework pass, right? You are exactly right. I would have loved one of those in high school. <laughs> um, something as simple as helping in a way, especially younger students love those opportunities to help, but the other upper levels love to assist in different ways like that are privileges around your school. Maybe it's helping with announcements or a flag raise or something. It really is what you make it, what the privileges are in your school. So those could be coupons, special seating for lunch. You could have a special table or sitting with a friend or with a teacher, even having extra lunch for the upper students. Even five extra minutes at lunch is um, fun for them, helping with different tasks. We talked about that using pens, using colored pens, and depending on what your school rules are. Maybe they can't use colored pens, but having the opportunity to, even teenage girls carry around massive packs of gel pens, you know, they, that would be great something for them. The opportunity to wear something different, it could be different shoes or a different shirt, a sweatshirt. Um, I know of one school that as you earn, you know, for character points or grades or whatever it is you're accumulating, and they earn a golden shirt and they wear um, uniforms and their colors are a color in gold. So everyone else is in the other color and you get the gold shirt. And, you know, it, it grows throughout the year. And pretty soon, you know, there's 40, 50, 60 students who have earned their golden shirt. And that's really something that was big at their school. So I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Um, doing something different in the classroom. Maybe there's a special center, special seating, drawing time for teachers who say, oh, if you're done reading, done working, you need to read or whatever it may be, letting them draw or do something different. Even the opportunity to make choices in the classroom. Students of all levels love to make choices because they feel like in school, everyone else makes all the choices. But having opportunity of some type of activity or something that you do in the classroom. You mentioned the homework pass, and I love that one. Even a bonus point pass. Like, I would have loved that, that one day it's like, I missed something on a quiz and you have it. 
And you don't need to hand them out in masses to where you're throwing off your entire grading integrity. <laughs> That's a different podcast episode, by the way, right? Yeah, yeah. We do need to talk about that at some point, don't we? Um, being a classroom assistant, helping with timers or passing out papers, giving out tickets to a school ball game or a local event. Now, you might remember, since we grew up near Chicago, if we made certain grades, we got tickets to ball games in Chicago. And that was huge. I remember. And no doubt those were donated. And so teachers can do that, too, getting donations for free snacks or milkshakes or whatever. Great things to earn. Stickers. And you say, OK, those are for little people. But right now, stickers are really all the rage again. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, people's laptops are covered in stickers, people of all ages. So coming up with a cool class sticker and they earn those. Another idea I saw was called a scatter spot. And if they earned this, you know, whether it was accumulated or by doing something you know, particular or something, they earned a scatter spot. And that was a spot they could take and put it anywhere in the room. And that's where they were positioned for that day. They could put their desk there. They could sit on the floor there. It was one of those little Velcro spots. And they just put it wherever they wanted to sit. I thought that was really fun. Even for upper levels, having school supplies available, you know, those things run out or they get lost and a coupon for you know, picking out a school supply would be helpful. I know this is a long list, but I just want our listeners to have a lot of different options that maybe they could put in their idea bank. Listening to music, like if you allow students to do independent work or have a study hall, they could listen to a story or a radio theater. Or maybe you pre-select a playlist that they could listen to while they study. Taking home an item, a parking pass for students that drive if there's a special place they could get to park. I would have liked that too. So I think it's wise for us to remember that rewards don't need to be nonstop. And I've kind of mentioned a few times that students really enjoy rewards that accumulate, like they're working towards something instead of, like you mentioned, you don't need to be rewarded every time. I think it's important that with younger students, we remember that they forget quickly. So to tell them, you know, when you earned 30 punches on your card, you're going to get a treat. They won't, after the first few, they've lost momentum. But I think with the older students especially, you know, tickets in a jar, a punch card, even I know of some teachers who make like a battleship board for their room. And if you get caught doing something great, you get to put a like a tack on that board. And at the end of the day, the teacher does the coordinates. And if you landed within her coordinates, you get a prize. So again, just an accumulation. Um, badges for lockers for older students or special parking spots, even decorating a parking spot. We have a few schools around here that do that, where they allow them to decorate their parking spot and things like that. A public praise board where students are highlighted for what they've done, just even on post-it notes. I walked into a school once and they had a whole bulletin board just filled with post-it notes. And it were, they were all just things that were great about their students. And I thought, wow, those students must walk by that board and just eat that up. So those things that don't cost a lot, but mean a lot. And I think also going back to that simple word, that nod, the high five. And like you mentioned, words of praise. We forget that students just love hearing those words of praise. And those can be spoken or written. And it really could be to the parents or the student. But I think, and I maybe just speak for myself as a teacher, I would tend to get into teacher mode where we're just plowing through the material. We're trying to beat the clock and we have we really have to make a conscious effort to give those words of encouragement. And I think there are very few people listening or teachers around the world who would say that they just don't want to give encouraging words. So I think they want to, but I know like for me, that just didn't happen 
automatically because you are so busy. There's so much going on. And I'm not talking about the hallway chatter of, you know, I love your shoes, but more intentional pointing out of those things that we notice and appreciate. And for me, I actually had to make a plan. And as I did this as a principal, where I actually made myself a chart of weekly dates and I set myself a goal of how many students and teachers I wanted to intentionally compliment or praise that week. And as I did it, I fill in the names. And I'll be honest, some Fridays were very busy days in the compliment department because I realized, oh, my word, it's already Friday. And I had to get really, really busy getting out there and complimenting people or praising people. But just an idea of maybe something that would be helpful for one of our listeners as it was helpful for me. I just needed that visual. And I think the last thing, and then Matt, if you have any closing comments, is just the power of the written word. And I think writing a note, that's a lost art. But the meaningfulness of written notes has not been lost at all. And for me, I just went and got decorative pieces of paper, a little bit bigger than a business card. So they're really inexpensive. And they didn't require a lot of words to fill up all that white space. But I, there were three times that really stick out in my mind that were good reminders to me of how much a written note means. And I remember the first time was writing a note to a little student who was going through a really hard time. And she literally carried it with her all the time. And usually it was up the, up the sleeve of her sweater. It was always right there. I would see it poking out. And one day I remember she got dropped off and realized it wasn't in her sweater. And I watched her run all the way back out and flag down her car and it was in the back seat and she stuck it down in her sweater. And it just was a reminder to me that it really meant a lot. The second one was I had a little student give me a gift and he quickly asked if I was going to write him a thank you note. I said, well, yes. And he said, okay, well, that gift is from me and my sister. Could you write us two separate thank you notes? Because I'd really like to keep mine on my own. (laughs) And again, thank you notes are kind of a lost art too, but it just proved how much that meant. And then my last story, as I was thinking through for this podcast, was one day I was on lunch duty and I walked by a little guy and there were little papers all over the table in front of him. And I just found that really odd because they were not food wrappers. So I walked over and asked him, what are those? And he said, oh, these are all the notes that my mom sent in in my lunch for the whole year. He had kept all of them. And of course, he sadly shared that one of them might have been thrown away with his lunch one day. He couldn't remember, but otherwise he had them all. And he started showing them to me. And what were they? They were just simple notes of praise and of motivation. You can do it. You studied hard. You got this. You can obey. And that just meant so much to him. And those were just really good reminders to me of the importance of just a simple handwritten note as we motivate our students and as we praise them. So I don't know if you have any other thoughts as we kind of roared through that list. No, what great stories and what great practical suggestions that you've given. You know, I would I would add to that and say, drop some of those notes in the snail mail, right? Because a lot of our students aren't getting mail And so who doesn't love, I mean, my son, again, he's 11 right now. He loves to get mail. And it's like, I feel like, you know, we're 20 years ago, all the technology, they, they get access to that so much. So those notes that you're writing, drop it in the mail, the cost of a stamp now is a little more than it used to be. Um, but I think it's, I think it's well worth the investment, uh, to do that. And I mean, you know, honestly, Jenny, I hold a lot of the cards that my wife has given me through the years, right? for the same reasons that you uh, described, there's just something about the written word um, that's so important, but you described being intentional. And you know, it's, sometimes it sounds silly, but setting up a little a way to track 
how am I doing this? Who am I doing this with? You know, I'd, I'd set a goal this year and I've kind of not done great, but to write a note on a regular basis to just different people. But if you don't, if you're not intentional about it, you won't do it because it's not an urgent thing. It's an important thing to be encouraging to people and in this way, but it's not an urgent thing. And sometimes things that aren't urgent get left off our list. So I thought those were great suggestions and the being intentional piece and maybe dropping those notes in the mail might be a, just an extra extra little encouragement for our listeners. I love that. Yes. Everyone loves little snail mails. That's great. Perfect. That's just a great way to wrap up this podcast and just ties so perfectly together, motivating and also rewarding them. So thank you for that question. And Matt, thank you for your input. Thank you for just a great episode and for your input there. And I'm really looking forward to more questions and stories coming our way for future episodes. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teachereditionpodcast.com to submit questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now it's time to get back to your day, but it's not just any day. Every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and His grace working in you. Go do what God has called you to do.